0: to my mommy's
1: podcast. This episode is sponsored by Fabletics, my current source for all my gym wear. In the last six months, I've discovered several new types of workouts that I am loving from group classes focused on flexibility to high intensity work and even underwater weight and breath training. I have been loving trying new things and Fabletics has active wear for all of it. I pretty much wear one of their pieces every day. And their mission is to make affordable high-quality workout wear available to all of us. I love being a VIP member, which unlocks special benefits. And here's how it works. When you go to Fabletics.com forward slash wellnessmama and take a 60-second quiz, it matches you with a showroom of styles designed for your body and workout type. And before I forget, Fabletics is offering listeners of this podcast an incredible deal that you don't want to miss. You can get two leggings for only $24, which is a $99 value when you sign up as a VIP. All you have to do is go to fabletics.com forward slash wellness mama to take advantage of the deal now. Again, that's fabletics.com forward slash wellnessmama to get two pairs of leggings for only $24, which is honestly less than the price of a sports bra from some other big name companies. There's free shipping on orders over $49. International shipping is available because I always get that question. And there's no commitment at all with your first order. So here's a tip make sure that you enter your email address when you take the quiz so that you'll get notified about new styles and specials. I have found out about some amazing sales through that link. And I also personally recommend the power hold leggings, which are awesome for everything from lifting weights to yoga. So again, check it all out at fabletics.com forward slash wellness mama. This podcast is sponsored by Four Sigmatic. That is my source for delicious coffees, teas, and elixirs that all contain beneficial medicinal mushrooms like lion's mane, chaga, cordyceps, reishi, and many others. These mushrooms have a long history of use and a lot of studies to back up their many benefits. I personally fell in love with all of their mushroom coffees and elixirs. I add their elixirs to my smoothies, and when I drink coffee, it's always their mushroom coffee these days. The great part is they have caffeine-free options and coffee-based options with a little bit of caffeine. So there's literally a blend for any type of day, but the bonus is that there's slightly less caffeine in their coffees than normal coffees, but with the, the addition of the medicinal mushrooms, you get more of a brain boost without the jitters. I personally enjoy the mushroom coffee blends in the morning, and I often sip relaxing and sleep-promoting reishi in the evening before bed. You can check out those and all of their products and grab a 15% discount just for being a listener of this podcast by going to forsigmatic.com forward slash wellnessmama and use the code wellnessmama. Again, that's dot com forward slash wellnessmama and with the code wellnessmama. Hello and welcome to the Wellness Mama Podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com and I'm here today with a new friend I'm excited to share with you. Joel Runyon is the founder of Impossible, which is a performance lifestyle company focused on helping people push their limits and transform their mindset through hard physical challenges, which he has some experience in. As an endurance athlete in 2017, he became the youngest person in the world to run an ultra marathon on every continent including Antarctica. He's also the creator of the Paleo and Keto resource called Ultimate Paleo Guide and Ultimate Meal Plan, as well as the daily movement and mobility coaching app, MoveWellApp.com. Joel, welcome and thanks for being here.
0: Awesome. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, to start, I would love to hear about Impossible as the brand and as the mission and just kind of walk us through um, what that is and how it was born.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> this, this story, it, it feels like... uh You know, it's been just a a few years back, but I actually started. I think back in 2010, uh, I graduated. I graduated school and did everything I was supposed to do growing up. You know, went to college, uh, got a double major, traveled abroad, and I basically graduated in the middle of the 2009 recession. And so I did all these things you were supposed to do growing up. uh, Got all like my GPAs, and you know. (laughs) learned Spanish and traveled abroad, did sports. And then I graduated. And then the next thing, you know, on that checklist is go get a job. And I graduated in that recession and I couldn't get a job for like nine months. And this basically <laughs> put me in a, a world where I was just questioning, you know, what the, the, the narrative that I had been fed for a while. And Uh, It's a long story. I applied to a bunch of different places. uh, Eventually, you know, got turned down at all of them. uh, Eventually, was applying to places like Starbucks and got (laughs) couldn't get a call back from Starbucks. And I was basically sitting in my my parents' basement at the time, you know, wondering if if this was it. This is this is what I signed up for. This is what I did all this work for. So I went to school, got this piece of paper for, and I just felt bad for myself for a while. (laughs) I didn't really do anything about it at first. I just kind of watched a bunch of Netflix and. You know, drowned in my own uh, sorrow for a little bit. But I was writing down all these things that I I wanted to do. I was still pretty aspirational about these things I actually wanted to do. And I saw some friends of mine, you know, starting businesses, getting jobs, traveling the world. And I wanted to do all these things, but I couldn't even get a job at Starbucks. And everything seemed really impossible for me. And so uh, while I was watching Netflix, I was kind of like making this list uh, for a while. And Uh, I think I ended up eventually running out of Netflix shows to watch. It was (laughs) 2009, 2010, uh, not a lot of stuff on there. And eventually, you know, I I finished, you know, kind of escaping into the world uh, of Netflix and took another look at my list. And all the stuff on my list still seemed pretty impossible. I didn't have any money. uh, I couldn't travel the world. I, I couldn't start my own business. I could barely, you know, I couldn't even get a job. But one of the things on my list was run a triathlon and, I didn't have an excuse for why I couldn't run a triathlon and so I decided, you know, there's no excuse for me not to put on my shoes and run around the block and there's no excuse for me not to get on like my crappy old middle school mountain bike and ride around the block and start training for this thing. And so even though I didn't know anything about triathlons, I decided I was going to sign up and do it and I signed up for an indoor one at Lifetime Fitness because I didn't want to drown in the open water swim of a normal triathlon. And... I was really nervous about it. Uh, I didn't really know anything about triathlons, but I signed up, I did it, I trained for two months and I did it. And I remember thinking at the end of that, you spent so much time telling yourself that this was impossible. What other things out there could you actually go out and do if you just trained for it and went for it? And so that kind of became like it, the inciting incident uh, for me to go out and like, start looking at, the, at this list that I had made that I thought, Everything felt impossible, but like, what if I went out and actually tried to do it? And so that was kind of the origin story. And so from there, I just kind of started uh, challenging myself to do longer and longer races. I started realizing once I started pushing myself that I could go a lot farther than I ever anticipated. And then I took that same type of mindset and applied it to like my job search. And then (laughs) eventually how I approached um, a couple of the first jobs I was able to actually get and work my way up. And then eventually, you know, leaving and starting my own stuff. And so, Impossible, yeah, that, that's that's kind of uh, the origin story of Impossible. But uh, kind of the mission of Impossible is to use hard, physical, difficult challenges uh, to transform your mindset and transform the way you both, you know, see yourself, but also see the world. And, you know, by putting yourself in those situations where they're hard, difficult, or you're not quite sure if you can do them, you push through and you're able to do them anyways, you kind of come out the other side with a... Different perspective on what you're capable of. And so uh, that was the origin story. But since, you know, I've done a lot more, you know, I got, I I basically tricked myself uh, through triathlons into becoming a runner, uh, started doing a lot of ultra marathons, ended up doing uh, several different races uh, for charity. And I think to date we've raised almost $300,000 for different educational nonprofits. So um, that's kind of, You know, it's been uh, eight or nine years or so, but that's like the quick, uh, you know, couple minute overview of uh, how it got started.
1: I love that story so much. And I love that you are doing this also to help charities as well um, and to bring awareness. That's amazing for anyone who isn't familiar. So I've ran I've run a triathlon and that is to me a tremendous accomplishment. It's no small feat. You now run ultra marathons. Can you just define what that is for anyone who doesn't know? (laughs)
0: <laughs> an ultra marathon is anything beyond a normal marathon so if you uh if you run a if you run a normal marathon and then you like run to run home or you run to seven eleven or anything it's technically an ultra marathon, but typically most ultra marathons are anywhere between a fifty k which is about thirty one miles and a hundred miles but now people are getting crazy and they're like <laughs> people are doing two hundred mile races uh you know multi day races and you know kind of once you dive into this world. People get really, really nutty really quick, Uh, but typically a ultra marathon starts at 50k and uh, it will go, you know, as far as people will let it go.
1: What's the longest one you've ever run?
0: So the longest that one that I did was the 100k in Antarctica.
1: Wow. So you picked the coldest place to run the longest.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it was it was 62 miles. I think that was that one. So, but yeah, like w- once you get into this space, it's like, okay, it's like a hundred K, but there are definitely people who do hundred mile races all the time. And then it just raises your, your sights on what's possible and what people actually do out there. And that was one of the mind blowing things for me was, you know, I had kind of capped myself before I ever got in this world. I was like, I don't even know if I can do a a triathlon. And so I didn't even do a like a sprint triathlon. I did an indoor triathlon. And once you once you kind of peek into this world, it just keeps going and going and going. And you realize uh what people are capable of when they when they decide to do it.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. And another thing you mentioned that I think it's important to talk about a little bit more is the education side. How you went to college, got the double major, you checked all the boxes you were supposed to check. And I've heard this story so many times and it's something I think about quite a bit as a parent now because I'm going to have kids before too long who are at the age of deciding to go to college or not. And I get the feeling that the education system has drastically changed even since we were there and certainly since our parents were there. So I'm curious, now being on the other side of this and having created this entrepreneurial life and this career that helped people, do you have a perspective looking back on, for instance, going to college and education and would you do it again or would you pursue other options earlier?
0: So, the way I've said it for for myself is I think we're like the last few years where you could kind of make the case for college i feel like uh even even since I graduated, college has gone up dramatically, and I just don't see the r o i on it like from a financial like people want to talk about okay, there's an experience, and you know you could talk about that i I think I would have much rather uh just taken the money and like <laughs> Or even half the money, and put it towards like experimenting in different entrepreneurial uh, manners. Because all the things that I did in school, like n- nothing really was super actionable. I think I probably could have paid better attention in, in like accounting class, and that would actually have been <laughs> probably the more like useful class that I'd taken. But I remember we took like a class on entrepreneurship, and it was about putting a business plan together and pitching people, and it's and and i haven't done a business plan like that yet uh you know most of my stuff has been bootstrapped and so it's been much more about like gaining an audience and and building traffic and 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 creating like products that people uh resonate with and so for me from an education standpoint um i think education like a basic education is really really important and that's you know the stuff that we do with pencils of promise as far as making sure people in under-resourced areas around the world have the chance to learn to read and do math and and you know learn these really basic skills that we kind of take for granted. But then when it gets to this higher education and you know, there's some places where I think be, you know, if you're gonna be a lawyer, you have to do what you have to do. If you're gonna be a doctor, you have to do what you you have to do. But for what I went to school for, and I, I kind of was one of those guys that went into school and I was like, I don't know exactly what I want to do. You know, all these careers that people have had picked out since third grade. I'm not one of those guys. There was never any messaging for that person, for me. And so I wouldn't have I don't think I would have if I have the chance to go back and, you know, spend that money again and spend those four years, I think I would have done it in a different way. And, you know, with costs going up the way they have, even since I graduated, I, I definitely don't think I would spend the money that they're <laughs> that they're charging these days unless it was a just a top tier school and and at that point, you're just basically buying into the, the group of people that you, uh, you know, the network that you want to be in. And so we can go, <laughs> I've got this whole, you know, I've got a, you know, much longer rant on that. But um, I just don't see the ROI for the types of classes that I took. And I think there's a lot of other ways that I could have invested that time and energy and learned skills that were a little bit more practical.
1: Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. And as someone who was also a really good student and I was very good at the game of taking tests and all of that in, in school, I, like, I did what I was supposed to do in the education side. And then in the adult world and especially in the entrepreneur world, I realized there were still a lot of skills I had to learn on the fly and especially things like tolerance for failure and resilience, because those things are not built in. At least they weren't built into my education, um, especially if you're a decent student and you don't have to fail very often. I feel like um, that's something that was really a big jump for me at the beginning of my entrepreneur journey and in parenthood, because there's a lot of tr- struggles built in there as well. And it's something I know you talk about quite a bit is you know building resiliency and how do you develop that tough mindset. And I think for all the parents listening, that's something really important to impart to our kids that are probably not getting necessarily from the education system. So let's talk mindset a little bit and how you were able to make that switch personally, and then now how you help people do the same.
0: Yeah. So so one of the, the, the core things that I talk about is like trying to get people out of their head and into their bodies. And a lot of people have digital related jobs, so they're doing jobs where they're sitting behind a computer all day, or you know, even if they're not, they're looking at their phone all the time. And we live so much of our lives in our head. And we have all these mental stresses that just live in your head. They're not like out in real life. And, you know, even like 100 years ago, if you're like actually stressed at your job, uh, it was because you were doing physical labor or something. And at least then you'd get like some sort of endorphin rush from, you know, the actual physical workout. And so people end up being stressed all the time mentally from these different situations, but they're not—they're not able to like get it out. They're not able to do anything um, with it because they're just like confined at their desk. And so, for me, I found I was like having a real hard time when I was in my parents' basement, uh, trying to like deal with the stresses of life and figuring out how to like navigate this new world, because I, d- I didn't have any way to like—I didn't have any outlet. I didn't have anything to do or to focus that you know kind of energy on, and it just kind of spiraled, for lack of a better word. And so for me, what, what I found is taking on these physically difficult, hard challenges does wonders for like when teaching you about doing hard things, whether they're actually physical or they're mental. Like when, once I realized like I can go run 50 miles and it's really hard and a mile, you know, 30 and mile 40 and mile 45, I'm going to want to quit, but I can keep going anyways. I was able to take that mindset and take that to pretty much everything else, like to entrepreneurship, to like uh to relationships, to go realizing that like just because something's hard, just because something's painful, doesn't mean it's necessarily bad and doesn't mean I can't do it. It just means it's gonna be (laughs) like slightly painful for a while. And you know, when people talk about running these ultra marathons or, you know, running these far distances, you know, they could say like, oh, it's it's so far, it's so difficult. I can never do that. But if you like zoom out and you're like, okay, well I'm gonna be going, you know, I'm gonna be moving for eight hours. I'll be in like maybe a lot of pain for 8 hours or 12 hours or, you know, 16 hours or whatever the number is, but it's just 16 hours. It kind of tr- it, – it transforms your perspective on what you're able to do and what you're able to deal with and when you go through those things and they're actually physically difficult where you're like, I remember at mile 45 when like my back seized up and it – like I didn't think I could keep going and I just wanted to go home and I quit and then I didn't. You can take that reference point. You can take that specific memory, that that real life thing that happened, and remind yourself in other areas of your life that I can go out and I can do this hard thing too. And so, you know, it, it, that's a lot harder to do if you never have like real physical experiences and you just live in your head or you live on your phone or you live in your computer. Um, and if you're able to like go out in the real world, have a real meaningful difficult experience, and be able to point to that, it's a reminder. Uh, to yourself that you can do hard things. And for me that was the, that was the biggest thing. Like I still don't you know, when I finished that first triathlon, part of me still didn't believe that I did it. I was like, "No, you you couldn't do this. Other people could do this, but you couldn't do this." But then I had like the results list and I had the times and I pointed it on the sheet and I was like, "Well, actually, you know, no matter what you think about yourself, you just did that. So, you are now the person that can do that type of thing." So, what's the next thing that's on the list? And what can you go do next? And I think that's really, really important and really underutilized where, like I said, most people I think live in their head and they're, they get stuck in their head uh, because so much of our stuff is on our phone or on our computer or you know, you're just processing it mentally. And when you're able to put it out into the physical, into the real world, there's something about it that lets you... You know, completely change how you look at uh, a certain situation and and what you're capable of.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like I think there's so much right now that's popular about doing all of the inner work and the mental work, and then um, how that's going to manifest in your life. And I think there's thing really wise about just doing it with your body, even if your mind hasn't quite caught up, and then letting your mind learn from that. And um, like I said, I've only done a triathlon, but the mindset part you talked about actually just reminded me of labor with my babies because it's like you said, it's 16 or in my case, usually like 24 hours but it's just 24 hours. In, in my mind, I tell myself that, like, I can do anything for 24 hours. I can do this. And then the mindset, like that mental toughness on the other side when you accomplish it is incredible and you get to keep that with you. And it's such a good reminder When you have struggles, any other struggles that come up that are smaller than that, you're like, well, I already did that. So, of course, I can get through this. I love the idea, too, how you talk about an impossible list because, you know, like everybody has their like bucket list. But that's like the things you do before you die, which is kind of depressing. Um, I love this idea of an impossible list, which is kind of like fun challenges to conquer. So I'm curious, what are some of the things both on your own one right now and that you have people in your community? Like what are some popular things people put on these impossible
0: lists? Yeah. So so the the real quick delineation between a bucket list and impossible list is that a bucket list kind of – people tend to make in a bucket list and they get real excited about making a bucket list. And they're like, hey, here's all the things I'm going to do before I die. And they make it, they get all excited, and then they get real excited when they make it, and then they don't do anything on it. And an impossible list kind of really started from that – that first triathlon there's like a couple things that actually felt impossible and it wasn't a big list it wasn't you know anything crazy but like an indoor triathlon was on my list and and the goal was you know do something that actually feels impossible right now and don't worry about everything else don't worry about making like 75 things on it you know add a couple things right now that feel impossible and go do them and then once you go do them your understanding of what's possible continues to expand. And so uh, the difference between an impossible list and a bucket list is a bucket list you kind of make one time and then, you know, maybe or maybe not, you like cross everything off as you go. Um, And the goal of the impossible list is basically to continue to grow with you over time and get bigger um, and more expansive as you kind of become bigger and more expansive. And so this has actually kind of been uh, an interesting um, problem that I had because I had, you know, I basically went from doing these. Indoor triathlons, uh, or I did one indoor triathlon, did a bunch of other triathlons, and got into running and ultra running, and I did all these ultra marathons on every continent, like we talked about a little bit. And now, one of the things that I've actually uh, struggled with a little bit is how do you do what's next after you do such a big thing? And so, you know, for for a lot of people in the community, a lot of people start off with the triathlon triathlon running kind of paradigm where they. The nice part about the running community is it's set up in those stages where you can say, "Hey, I'm going to do a 5K, I'm going to do a 10K, I'm going to do a half marathon, I'm going to do a marathon." It's very gradual and it's very specifically well laid out. For me, right now, uh, I've got a couple different races that are on my radar, but they're a little bit logistically difficult to coordinate and organize. So, one of them is uh, called the Red Bull X Alps, and it's a race. It's an ultra running race slash paragliding race across like the Swiss Alps. It's like sponsored by Red Bull and it's awesome. And I don't even know how to paraglide, but uh, I'll learn it and <laughs> I want to do it. And then there's like a seven day ultra marathon across Iceland that I want to do. And those are kind of like the next couple things uh, for me. But a lot of people in the space, uh, they'll, they'll start with different um, shorter races. And for some people who, you know, some people say, hey, I'd love to run a marathon, but I, you know, I'm... 100 pounds overweight or you know I it's going to take me even if I want to run a marathon it's going to take me 20 weeks uh, to get started with that. And so one of the things and this kind of ties into what we just talked about one of the things that I have a lot of people do is you know if they're just starting out and they just want to get used to doing something difficult or uncomfortable or challenging but they're not ready for like a marathon or an ultra marathon is Uh, I call it cold shower therapy. Uh, I did a TEDx talk on it a long time ago, but since like um, Wim Hof has, you know, blown up with ice baths, and I know you're a big cold therapy fan, but I I, I tell people do like five minutes of freezing cold showers or just five minutes of ice baths. And what I found is that's like a, a super simple way for a lot of people to get started doing small, physically uncomfortable activities, and it's also just five minutes, and you can anyone can do anything for 5 minutes. And so, yeah, those are that's kind of a quick overview of the impossible list, but one of the things that I found is that some people get really intimidated when they're like, "Oh, you know, impossible list means I have to run an ultra marathon tomorrow." It's like, "No, you can do you can do it in small ways, you can do it in small formats. You can start where you're at, and the list will grow with you over time, and that's what's cool about it."
1: I love that. And you touched on something that I think is worth highlighting, which is that kind of the idea of getting comfortable with discomfort, which is not something that's common in our society anymore. Like we have the ability a lot of times to just be comfortable all the time. And I'm, I'm so with you on the cold. I think actually it's been one of my best teachers because I was never great at meditation or like quieting my mind. Cause it's just always going in a million directions. And when I get in, you know, 40 or 38 degree water, I'm instantly able to have singleness of thought and just breathe. And um, it's been a great teacher for me. And it's also that mental teacher of that I can do this for five minutes and I'm not going to die from this. So I love that. Um, I'm curious what your just out of curiosity, what your training regimen looks like, especially for some of these more obscure races where like it's paragliding or it's more than just running. How do you train for that?
0: Well, the paragliding one, I don't know yet. I, have, <laughs> I need to go take lessons or something. But that's, a, that's an interesting challenge where you're like, oh, I'm going to become a beginner again and I'm going to be really bad at this. And I think that's always a little bit scary, especially once you've gotten slightly proficient at something to go be bad at something again and remember how it is to, to look stupid and mess up a bunch. So right now, uh, my training regimen is just actually, I really focused on just lifting weights a lot, um, the last few years, but, or the last, uh, the last year, probably. But while I was doing the ultra marathons, uh, this is something that's actually interesting is I launched this seven, seven, seven project a while back and seven ultra marathons, seven continents. And we wanted to build seven schools. And I, when I first started, I was just like, I'm going to just start running all the time. I'm going to run when I wake up. I'm going to run before I go to bed. Every single day, run, 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 add a bunch more miles, you time on your feet. I got to get used to going these distances. And so uh, I was training. I was actually in really great shape. And I go down to Patagonia, Chile to run this first race. And 26 miles in, I come around this curve. There's a tailwind. So there's a 25-mile-per-hour tailwind. And so it's kind of boosting you along the course, and you're feeling really good. 26 miles in, I come around this corner the wind shifts and basically blows me across the road. I'm running downhill and uh end up trying to catch myself basically as I go downhill. End up rolling my left ankle really bad. Uh I've been an athlete for a long time. I've rolled ankles before. I was like, "Okay, you're just going to, you know, suck it up. <laughs> suck it up and uh, you know, walk it off and and finish this race." Spoiler, I couldn't actually uh, run the rest of the race, but I did. I did finish it. I like limped the rest of the way home, and I thought, okay, I'm just going to ice this, and I'll be fine. You know, when this is all said and done, and uh, it turns out I got back back home after the race, and I went from running 20 miles uh, to barely being able to run like two blocks, and I was like, oh no, something's wrong. And what happened was uh, I basically severely sprained my peroneal tendon. Um, I didn't quite like snap it, but it was it was pretty bad. And I started realizing that like, oh, just running all the time is is not the answer. And so, what happened was I had to do six months of rehab uh, to get back to the point where I was able to run again. And then when I was finally able to actually start training again, I ended up running actually a lot less than I had previously been running, uh, but doing a lot more cross training and a lot more mobility and recovery work. And uh, what happened was that allowed me to basically run the next six races within a period of like three, three and a half months. And what I realized was like there's a lot more to, to running and staying healthy and a full like training protocol than just running all the time. And so uh, I've, I've really tried to kind of maintain that. I really like the overall idea of being functionally fit. Uh, and not just being like, okay, I've got, you know, big muscles or I could do whatever, but like being ready for any adventure that comes my way. Like I never want to be able to, I never, never want to have to turn down an adventure because I'm not in like the the shape I need to be to go and do that. Whether that's like, you know, climb a mountain or, you know, do, you know, do this ultra marathon or go see these, you know, random parts of the world that you you can only get to on foot. I really like uh, that kind of personal challenge because I've never thought about myself as a runner. I'm not, I'm not a small runner guy. Uh, you know, a lot of runners are, you know, five and like 120 pounds or something like that. I'm like six foot two and 210. Like, I'm a big dude, and so for me, like fitness and these challenges have always been about what can I find out about myself during these ultra marathons, and then two. What can I see in the world that I would normally never get a chance to see? And those two things combined are just—it's a much better reason to me to be fit and to get into shape and to be able to be functionally, you know, healthy to do all these different things than just to be like, hey, I'm going to go flex in front of the mirror for, you know, like a, a couple hours. I, I like the the idea and the challenge of going out in the world and and doing these types of things. So, I don't know if that answered your question, but that was a little bit of a, a ramble, if you will.
1: It does. And as someone who also does not feel like a natural runner, and pretty much anytime I run, I'm just like, oh, when is this going to end? I much prefer weight training. And I've read some interesting studies actually and from coaches in different types of sports that are using really heavy weight training actually to train their endurance athletes or their sprinters because it's supposed to actually increase certain muscle fibers and the ability to, I guess, have increased endurance and fast-twitch fibers. Have you seen any of that data or has that been true in your experience? Like, are you are you able to get those same benefits without having to do as much endurance? Because I know there's also some data that extreme endurance and extreme cardio all the time can be de- detrimental over the long run as well.
0: So I found that the weight training actually like muscularly balanced me out because I'm a very like, <laughs> like if you look at me, I'm, I'm I'm very quad and calf heavy. Like I'm like, very happy with you know the way I run, even uh, like I'm, I'm just a quad and calf heavy person. Um, and what actually I found out, you know, this this freak accident that you know happened in Patagonia was really it was a little bit of a freak accident, but it was kind of just like waiting to happen. Because long story short, uh, I've I have super tight hips, I have kind of weak hamstrings and glutes, and so what was happening was my stride was getting off, and you know, this would have happened one way or another, but uh, basically one hip was tighter than the other. One stride is a little bit shorter. And it was, it was basically, I was just kind of reinforcing, like once you have a weak muscular group or uh, like a specific area and you don't do anything to address it, uh, I just kind of, kind of dig yourself a rut, if you will. And so uh, what happened when I started weight training was I started actually rebalancing myself a little bit. I started building hamstring and glute strength and I started like actually changing, uh, the way both my form and kind of how my, my, my overall running gait, like the performance of my overall running gait. And so, uh, that on its own, like beyond, you know, people want to debate the, the, the merits of, you know, strength training versus cardio and all this other stuff. And, and for me, I found, and I think you're seeing a lot of runners really start to realize this is that, it's really easy to develop bad habits while running. And if you're able to put in the time, even three times a week, uh, to do some strength work along with that, um, you really insulate yourself from a lot of the injuries that uh, runners get from just repetitive running over and over again because they're never taking the time to address uh, the weaknesses. And so if you can do that with strength training, uh, I think the combo is really awesome. And for me, again, you know, the goal being... Functionally fit to go out and do adventure in the world, I need both. You know, like you need to be strong, you need to be able to have endurance capacity, and you know, just picking up a boulder (laughs) and putting it down, or you know, being able to like lift something that's incredibly heavy, but not being able to run, you know, for twenty minutes, like that's not a good end result for me. So, what I found is when I started doing that strength training and I started adding some mobility work on top of that, um, that kind of gave me the best of both worlds, where it's like, hey, I'm able to do these you know, hard endurance challenges, but I'm also preventing myself from injury. And I'm not really, you know, just letting myself create these bad habits without having to address them on a, you know, on a daily or a weekly basis.
1: That makes sense. And you also have the Move Well app, right? Which is for the mobility and movement side. Is that helpful as well, especially for people who are trained at that level?
0: Yeah. So this is this is something that we actually created a lot of a lot of my businesses come from things where I'm like, man, you need to do this and uh like you need you need to, you need to be better at this. And so when I got hurt, I, I was going to like physical therapy I mean, maybe two two times, three times a week or something like that. And it was like sixty bucks a session or it was like a hundred bucks a session. And I'd go into physical therapy and I'd be really good about doing all the work that they told me to do, and then they'd give me homework and I'd go home. And I would not do any of it. <laughs> and I feel like a lot of people are kind of like this, where everybody's got a foam roller or everybody's got you know like a lacrosse ball or a, a tennis ball that they they know they should be doing something. Maybe they're not even an athlete, but they're sitting down all day and they've got lower back pain or they've got specific issues. And one of the things that I just realized is like I'm really good, you know, going back to the education thing. If I've had someone tell me exactly. You know what to do. I'm really good about doing that, but if I'm just left to my own devices and coming up with my own routines and what to do with a a foam roller, uh, I'm not as good at that. So basically, we built MoveWell, uh, so I would have a portable coach um, at home with me, and the idea is that we do prescriptive routines. So instead of just saying, "Hey, roll out your hamstrings," uh, we say, "Hey, what's your specific problem? Do you have like lower back pain? Are you getting ready for a run? Are you just like an?" You're trying to do everyday mobility and just trying to stay a little bit loose, and you've got ten minutes. Um, We basically put together routines of specific movements that are you know ten to fifteen minutes long, and we have a timer, uh, tutorials, and a coach, and we walk you through all the different movements. So you're not just like foam rolling your left hamstring and then you know turning on the TV and and doing something else. Uh, We try to make it prescriptive, so each routine has a specific goal for it, and you're not just doing. Kind of a one size fits all mobility routine. So, we started that uh, actually after I got hurt, and uh, we're expanding it quite a bit this year. And uh, uh, we're really excited for what's coming up with that because I think I think that's one of those things where most people don't realize how much they can do. Uh, You know, on impossible, I talk about pushing past your limits and doing more than you think you can. But one of the one of the like calories of that is that uh, you also have to take care of your body uh, much more than you you. you might be able to get away with if you're not pushing yourself. So if you're just doing your everyday thing and then all of a sudden you start, you know, really pushing yourself really hard in the gym or running or anything like that, um, you have to really kind of step up your level of self-care and recovery and what you're going to allow yourself to do. And so, you know, we want people to push themselves. We want them to experience more things and do, you know, impossible things. But we also want people to take care of themselves and recover well. And there's a quote I'm not sure how accurate it is, but I like the I like the message of it and it's there's no such thing as overtraining, just under recovery. And what I found is a lot of people can really push themselves a lot farther than they think they can, but you have to take care of yourself first. And if you're not focused on recovery and that aspect, uh that's where injuries pop up. That's where, you know, things crop up where they'll set you back, you know, 2 4 Uh, six months or something like that. And that's kind of what we want to avoid.
1: And that's such an accurate, I feel like correlation to life in general is like, you know, you can push hard in any area, but you also have to put in the time for recovery and um, whether it be self-care or to sleep, like most people don't even prioritize sleep enough. anymore. (laughs) You know, um, I'm curious, do you have any sleep rituals? Because I guess training takes a pretty big toll on the body. Do you have anything that helps you sleep or maintain your sleep quality?
0: Yeah. So I like, I really like to take cold showers before I go to bed something about it calms me down. Um, it's really hard to, I just moved to Texas and it's actually really hard to uh, take cold showers here. I just got the the chili pad. Um, I still haven't set it up yet, but uh, I'm really excited about that. Um, and then I have uh, like sleep induction mats. I've got a couple of different ones. I think I just have a general one, but then I just picked up the one from the AccuSpike guys. And I love that. That that was a game changer for me. And a sleep induction mat is basically just this mat with a bunch of little spikes on it and something about it it's the it it just forces me to uh relax as I fall asleep and then you know you lay on it for 10 or 15 minutes then you roll off so I literally have the chili pad like right behind me and i i have to get it set up here sometime soon but i'm excited about that um and then the the sleep induction mats to me were like when I was traveling, I was traveling for like two years straight and I, and I travel really light and the sleep induction mat was so important to me that I was like, I made it a part of just my packing gear and it takes up a decent amount of space. So, it's, it, it wasn't like a small commitment to, you know, my overall luggage, but it was that important and it was that helpful uh, with me getting sleep on a regular basis that I decided to, you know, keep it, keep it in rotation.
1: Well, I mean, know where I stand, but you got to get the chili pad out of the box. It's a total changer when it comes to this. <laughs> I love it. Like I, when I travel now, I, I like miss it so much, especially if it's anywhere warm. I'm just like, oh, where's my chili pad?
0: You, like call the hotel up ahead of time. you be like, hey, do you have a chili pad you can set up for me? Because that'd be great.
1: I have a friend who ships one everywhere he goes. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow. Completely. Yeah, I'm not quite to that level yet, but I love, love, love the chili pad. And they now have the one called Uler, which might be the one you have that's... um. Like you can program it, I think from your phone. Um, but yeah, total game changer when it comes to sleep. But I would think the cold shower idea would be a similar like thing, cooling your body temperature. So anybody who doesn't have a chili pad, they could try that to start with for sure. This episode is sponsored by Fabletics, my current source for all my gym wear. In the last six months, I've discovered several new types of workouts that I am loving from group classes focused on flexibility to high intensity work and even underwater weight and breath training. I have been loving trying new things and Fabletics has active wear for all of it. I pretty much wear one of their pieces every day and their mission is to make affordable, high quality workout wear available to all of us. I love being a VIP member, which unlocks special benefits. And here's how it works. When you go to fabletics.com forward slash wellness mama and take a 60 second quiz, it matches you with a showroom of styles designed for your body and workout type. And before I forget, Fabletics is offering listeners of this podcast, an incredible deal that you don't want to miss. You can get two leggings for only $24, which is a $99 value when you sign up as a VIP. All you have to do is go to fabletics.com forward slash wellness mama to take advantage of the deal now. Again, that's fabletics.com forward slash wellness mama to get two pairs of leggings for only $24, which is honestly less than the price of a sports bra from some other big name companies. There's free shipping on orders over $49. International shipping is available because I always get that question. And there's no commitment at all with your first order. So here's a tip. Make sure that you enter your email address when you take the quiz so that you'll get notified about new styles and specials. I have found out about some amazing sales through that link. And I also personally recommend the Power Hold leggings, which are awesome for everything from lifting weights, To yoga. So, again, check it all out at Fabletics.com forward slash wellness mama. This podcast is sponsored by Four Sigmatic. That is my source for delicious coffees, teas, and elixirs that all contain beneficial medicinal mushrooms like lion's mane, chaga, cordyceps, reishi, and many others. These mushrooms have a long history of use and a lot of studies to back up their many benefits. I personally fell in love with all of their mushroom coffees and elixirs. I add their elixirs to my smoothies and when I drink coffee, it's always their mushroom coffee these days. The great part is they have caffeine-free options and coffee-based options with a little bit of caffeine, so there's literally a blend for any type of day, but the bonus is that there's slightly less caffeine in their coffees than normal coffees, but with the, the addition of the medicinal mushrooms, you get more of a brain boost without the jitters. I personally enjoy the mushroom coffee blends in the morning, and I often sip relaxing and sleep-promoting reishi in the evening before bed. You can check out those and all of their products and grab a 15 15- percent discount just for being a listener of this podcast by going to forsigmatic.com forward slash wellness mama and use the code wellness mama again that's f-o-u-r-s-i-g-m-a-t-i-c dot com forward slash wellness mama and with the code wellness mama so like I knew this was going to fly by so quick because you're so fun to talk to, but I can't believe we're getting near the end already. And there's a couple questions I really want to hear your answers to. The first being if there is a book or number of books that have really changed your life or your mindset in some way, um, if so, what they are and why.
0: Yeah. So the the book that I always tell people about is called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years by an author called Donald Miller. And this, I've read this a couple times over the years, but this is one of the ones I read when I was living in my parents' basement. And the author basically talks about looking at your life like a story. And he asked the question, if your life was a story or if your life was a book, would anybody want to read it? And (laughs) what I realized in my parents' basement was uh, that if my life was a story at that point, it was a story about a guy sitting on his couch watching a bunch of other people like live interesting stories and so I was like oh I need to change something and so that was probably the most impactful book just from a perspective shift because then anytime uh, I come up to like a big obstacle or something that's hard or difficult it's not all of a sudden something that's hard or difficult it's just like a a challenge in the storyline and you know if you ever go watch a movie and there's no there's no big obstacle in the movie. It's a pretty boring movie. Like if there's no no challenge the, you know, protagonist has to overcome, uh, there's no reason for you to be at that movie. And so that book's been super impactful and it lets you kind of step outside your first person narrative and look at yourself as like in third person and be like, okay, what would I want, you know, a generic character to do in this situation? And then you're able to kind of like transport yourself like into that character and be like, okay, let's like, play first person now and like, let's go do the hard thing because that's what a good character does. And so um, that million miles in a thousand years, really recommend it. It's probably one of my favorites and uh, it's super helpful if you're looking kind of for perspective shift.
1: I love that. And that's a new recommendation on this podcast. I'll make sure that link is in the show notes. Yes. Any like parting advice, words of wisdom that you leave with the listeners today?
0: Um, I think, you know, this is kind of what we've just been talking about the last couple, you know, last 40 minutes or so. But I think re- people really undervalue the importance of hard physical challenges. And the more I think about it and the more I do it, the more I keep coming back to that. And it's so easy to be comfortable. And it's so easy to even talk about this stuff. You know, there's a million podcasts out there right now. i be like, you know, growth begins at the edge of your comfort zone. And, you know, people talk about it or people post on Pinterest or Instagram and they talk about getting outside their comfort zone. But if you tell someone to jump in like an ice bath, they'll yeah, they'll fight you about it. And uh what I found is just the like the daily practice of finding something that's not just uncomfortable, but is actually physically hard or physically difficult. But also, you know, if you can. Physically difficult, but meaningful, and that can be meaningful to some to, to to you in whatever way that means. but I find those experiences that I've taken on that have been very, very difficult, where I've wanted to quit multiple times and i somehow dug deep enough to to push through those are probably the the most transformative experiences I've had, and I think we have like a a pretty big lack of them. Just in in modern society, and so there's like a specific challenge I would say you know if people you know don't have an ice bath or something like that, I always tell people to take five minutes of cold showers if they want to practice doing something that gets them uncomfortable. You're already taking a cold shower, you're already turning the the dial one direction uh, all you have to do is turn it the other direction and uh do it for five minutes, and it might be hard, it might be difficult, and you might you know not like this guy on the podcast that you're listening to, but uh when you're done, you realize. It was hard, it was difficult, but it was just five minutes and you can do anything for five minutes. And then you also realize like you're able to do other things that you you think might be hard, might be difficult, but you're able to do it. So that's that's my parting advice.
1: I love that. And I feel like that's a perfect place to end. I'll make sure that we link to everything you mentioned, the seven 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 project and impossible and move well and all the places people can find you. But if people just want to stay in touch with you online or follow your journey and your marathons, where's the best place to find you?
0: Yeah. ImpossibleHQ.com is uh, uh, the main site for Impossible. And then you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Joel Runyon. And uh, those are the best spots.
1: Awesome. I will make sure all of those are linked. Joel, thanks for taking the time. This was so much fun. Uh, Thanks for having me. And thanks to all of you for listening and sharing your most valuable asset of your time with us today. We're so glad you did. And I hope that you will join me again on the next episode of the Wellness Mama podcast.